committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome. I'm Meredith E. Abarca, your hostess for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas food landscape by gathering food-based stories from our residents. This project offers a taste of a living history that speaks to ethnic and racial cross-cultural connections. If we are what we eat, we are committed to highlighting the food-based culture and history of the city. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation with our guest, Alejandro Borunda, co-owner of a new restaurant in town, Taconeta, located at 311 Montana Avenue. Today, we will learn about Alejandro, about his vision, his culinary vision for Taconeta. Alejandro, welcome. Gracias. Thank you, Professor. Meredith. Meredith, Meredith is fine. It sounds more professional, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all friends here, so let's, okay, let's, okay. let's just not be too professional. Okay, Meredith. But let's talk about a little bit about who you are, um, tell the audience about who Alejandro is, um, whether you're from El Paso, and also how you got into the, 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 the food industry. Um, so... Well, uh, <clears throat> well, thank you for having me, Meredith. Uh, my name is Alejandro Borunda. I was uh, born in El Paso. I grew up in Juarez. I was raised in Juarez uh, up until I was 18. But I went to school here in El Paso from pre-K to high school. So like me and many other people, uh, we went across the bridge every day from, again, to go to school. And um, something that was, I guess, common to the people I grew up with, but not so common to other people in the country that... So came to realize after I left El Paso when I went to Austin for, I was in Austin for about 10 years and um, I worked in New York for a couple of years and I came back to El Paso in 2014 um, to pursue opening a bar called International that is located downtown. And um, after it's been, we've been doing International since 2016 and um, now we're pursuing Taconeta that we just, uh, we just completed our first year. So very proud of making it uh, to Taconeta being a first year, and, and, and here we are today. So, International is the name of your, your bar? Yes. Tell me a little bit about, I know we're talking about Taconeta in a minute, but tell me a little bit about the name. Um, I guess the name came through, it was actually one of my business partners' idea, the name, but we it's pretty much an homage to to the city and being an international city, being binational and having being a, on the border, something that we kind of embrace and we continue to embrace and Part of, I mean, just kind of play on words with where we are located geographically. So, um, do you have international drinks? Somewhat. I mean, it's definitely we do have a cocktail program that um, that has you know classic cocktails, and some of these classic cocktails were made overseas, and and a lot of these are American cocktails or French or English cocktails. So you can consider it being. A, um, an international menu, but not so emphasized where we have like a Thai drink or a Japanese drink or anything of that sort. But, you know, it's definitely more of a homage to, to where we are. So the international is because that some of these cocktails, their origin comes from other it, countries. Exactly. Okay, great. Do you have food there too? We do, but we have a, a kitchen that we actually uh, lease out to another another space, which is um, we have right now currently Lick It Up, which is a, a vegan street, Mexican street food a concept, which um, 
it's been great. These guys do stuff like, uh, you know, seitan gorditas and flauta. So it's very Mexican street food. Um, and they're actually been doing great. They have a, like about like four now new locations in, in Austin. They, they took a food truck over there and, and it hit, uh, hit, hit really well with the community in Austin. And, and, um, and that's what they're doing over there right now. So, yeah, and we have one. The, our kitchen has Lick It Up right now. Wow, so we can come and eat and drink Exactly, there. exactly. That's where I will be going this weekend. <laughs> okay. Speaking of names, um, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you got into the food, particularly business. Um, but before we get to that, maybe you can tell us about the name of Taconeta. Taconeta itself means, I mean, the name Neta in Spanish is a slang word for Neta is legit, or, or um, I guess if you put a use it in a sentence, uh, Neta means uh, like the real deal or le like legitness per se. So if somebody says like, "Ve a comer taconeta, está delicioso." Neta, Neta, si Neta. Like really, really, yes, really. So it's like you can use it in different contexts, but Neta overall means. Legit, so pretty much uh, the name speaks for itself. Legit tacos, I guess. So we have legit tacos. <laughs> legit tacos, <laughs> yes. So, so tell us how, uh, if your background is not in food, um, or or is it? Maybe was your study in food? No, or? I did. I didn't go to culinary school or anything like that. Um, my mother is a chef. Um, that's why my mom was always cooking at the house. I mean, my mom became a chef um, later years in life. Uh, went to culinary school in. Um, Culinary Institute of America in Napa Valley. But my mom was always, I was definitely my inspiration and, and the reason why I'm in the food industry is because of my mother and my grandmother and, and my family. They're all, 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 they all cook and um, always cooking at the house and always being by her side. I was always her, me dice su compañerito. So I've always, I was always very attached to my mom. Um, that, that means I'm a mama's boy, of course. Who's your mom? Se llama Yolanda Llanar. Mm -hmm. She lives in Puerto Vallarta right now, and she actually is uh, still uh, working. Uh, she's giving, she gives uh, cooking lessons and and does dinners, uh, and that's pretty much what she's do is doing in Puerto Vallarta. She moved to Vallarta when I was 18. I'm 36 now, and um, I'm always surrounded by food, and I always had an interest. Food always excited me for some reason. I didn't know how how passionate I was until later in my life, I, it was simply a thing by default how food excited me. And, and it's something that it was within me, but simply that was just how it, how it was. And I didn't realize that maybe it was a little more than normal for other people my age or my friends, you know, until later down the road realized that, yeah, food is something that is pretty much I'm really passionate about. And I always, I mean, was always used to traveling. And the way I got used to um, getting to know a culture was by eating the food. And that's something that I've always kind of, I've always, uh, represented or say that if you want to learn a culture is by eating your way through that culture, right? And, and that was something that um, I guess part of what um, didn't make me hesitate. And even when Open International, I, I had the name Taconeta before International and had the concept uh, of, the, of, the, of the establishment itself, but um, didn't pursue it because we went to Taconeta and I mean, we, went to, we opened International and but Taconeta was always something that I had planned Maybe not as, not, Taconeta, the initial plan was not what it is now, but I definitely had an idea for it. And um, we got to find the time, the time was right. And of course, not a pandemic, right? But I was going to say the time is right. I believe you just had your anniversary, your first university. Exactly. Uh, Last month? Last month, or yeah, this month, uh, oh, this month. July 11th was, we, we did a year, completed so a year. So basically, you open a restaurant right during the pandemic. That yeah. would have been really <laughs> interesting. Um, so speaking of Taconeta, uh, tell us a little, you said you had this vision already of it. Um, 
Let, let's move. Uh, let's, let's save the food for last. Let's okay. save the good thing for last. Okay. Uh, I've been to Daganata. I've had the fortune to be there a few times, and I can't wait to, to introduce new people to it because the tacos are just phenomenal. Thank you, Meredith. Um, but I've also been fascinated with the con- with, with the structure. Uh, um, um, so, can you tell us a little bit first about the, the serving style, the design style of the restaurant itself? Because um, you know how is it connected to the neighborhood? So, tell us a little bit about the vision of, 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 the, of the location. Uh, and then in a minute, we'll talk about more about the food. Well, okay. The, um, the, the vision for the space, um, I mean, I've always seen when, if you're trying to open a project or want to do something, you kind of have to work with what the space offers, right? And this, the location we're talking about is now, it was used to be the old El Paso Imports Company building before, before it was Taconeta. Then um, the building was sold to my now landlord, and um, the landlord is actually the architect, was also the architect for our project. So we worked together in the project as far as uh, the, the the space and the, um, adding a patio and, and the floor plan. But uh, my business partner and I, Daniel Fox, uh, we actually, we were the general contractors to the project, took on the, the role of being a general contractor so also to meet our budget and be able to complete it, you know. Um, um, I could have done, definitely learned a lot as a, as a contractor and um, we probably could have been, maybe we could have done it faster if we hired another, another contractor. Of course, also the pandemic hit, so we were delayed a little bit um, for the, from the, for the, because of the pandemic, which one reason why we opened in the midst of the pandemic. But um, as far as uh, the concept itself, uh, we chose uh, those materials that we have. We've seen a lot of, a lot of breeze block and um, we chose, I mean, using a lot of color, like um, the conduit, if you notice the conduit lighting with making a color pattern, almost like of a sarape, inspired by a sarape. And the breeze block that we have is uh, just a lot of materials that we, we source from Guadalajara, like the tiles on the patio and in the bathroom hallway, these are custom made uh, concrete tiles that are hand pressed, almost like with a, like a tortilla press, the way they hand press them one by one. <clears throat> and um, just wanted to bring these materials that were very connected to I guess the community, because also like I was mentioning the breeze block, which is Celosia in Espanol. Um, the neighborhood, if you go down the street, Montana, up in California Street, Arizona, Nevada, a lot of these um, houses have a lot of breeze block. So it's uh, it's a very Mexican touch, very Mexican uh, material, but it's also somewhat of an homage tribute to to the neighborhood. So it's kind of us connecting ourselves, being part of where we are. We want to respect our surroundings and it's kind of giving them a highlight. So it's part of that. So again, that materials against some things that we chose to go with um, the, the, our concept being Mexican food and also the neighborhood. So it's like, this is a restaurant of the neighborhood kind of embracing the, 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 the feel of the neighborhood. Exactly. It's okay. not, no, it's not like a, it kind of shows that we're not trying to push anyone away. On the contrary, it's kind of where everyone is is welcome. It's for everyone. Tell me a little bit about the kitchen, because I love uh, when you come to, to Taconeta and you go into the, the dining area, the first thing you see is the kitchen, and you see the, the, the chefs and the, and the, and the preps. This is the notion of the open kitchen, right? Yes. Um, so what motivates you to do an open kitchen like that? 
Um, I, for one, I guess the taquerias in Mexico, in, in open your in front of the taquero making your tacos, and it's kind of a very visual thing that's right in front of you. And also an openness that we're open and there's no frills, no nothing to hide here. You know, it's you see what you see is what you get, and and it's right in front of you. And it's always something always exciting to see the action going on in the kitchen, the activity, um, and and it's something that is kind of want to provide that our guests to be able to see what they what they're getting at the same time. Yeah, that's that. I was wondering if there was something of, of that, since this is a taco a restaurant, per se, yes. by, by the name, right? Of course, you have all the items in the, in the menu, too, but I was wondering if the, if the notion of the open kitchen was to try to inspire that idea of a, of a taco food truck, sort of thing, or, or a taco stand that you have all over Mexico, right? Yes. Um, tell me about the, the ordering, because I know when, when you come, you, 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 your menu is, is, in a, is, in a, is in the window, <laughs> written in the window, um, and you order through a through a little window. Right. Is that also part of the idea of the spirit of the of the, of the taco truck or the taco stand um, or or a reality of the pandemic? Uh, because uh, how did that come about? I think it's a little bit of all those things. It's It was definitely, um, well, first of all, the, the, ta the window, the taco window was more intended for takeout. We put a lot of attention to detail um, for the experience for the guests to have you know for the takeout situation so not having to go inside the restaurant and wait at the bar and uh, more make it more simplified for the for the guest so that they could get in and pick up their food and get out without having to be waiting around while there's other guests eating or whatnot it was it was there was so much attention into that that it made it easy when the pandemic hit we just decided we were going to do window service for less contact we actually had the dining room closed for a period of time during the pandemic, again, we opened right in July. So we only had the patio available as seating and, and everything was coming out the window. So that kind of uh, evolved to be the, our main form of service. And it, and it simply worked out. And we, we don't seem, it doesn't seem like we're going to change it anytime soon. And it kind of works where, with a window and it, and yes, I mean, obviously you're, you're considering the window being more of a food truck thing, but it was not the intention to do the full service as it is now. And, and uh, we had, we wanted to do, give the customer full service, right? With, uh, we have some tablets that would make it, make it convenient to put in orders uh, at the table without the server having to leave the guests and continue to to add items or whatnot. Um, but um, all that went out the window with the pandemic and now you order through the window, if you <laughs> get my play on words there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it just simply, again, it was not the intention, but it, it, it worked out. The, the 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 window the window service. I I personally like it a lot. I, I there's something rather inviting. I mean, at least I've been there. I don't know four or five times in less than a month. I think. Um, <laughs> so I'm becoming a, a permanent presence. I hope. There you go. Yes. <laughs> um, but I I do find it very exciting. Um, you know, when I see the line and sort of this this welcoming aspect to yeah. it. I think, I think it works really nicely. It's a, yeah, it, work, it works where, where it seems like, I guess the line could be discouraging, think like it's a long line, but it moves fast. And by the time you, you pay for your food and, and you get your number, there will be a table available for you. And when you, the moment you sit down, you will get your food within the next five to 10 minutes max. So it's, mm -hmm. it's all, it's a fast flow thing. So it's that balance that we can probably get into later of, of the craft with uh, the casual side of uh, taqueria. Yeah, well, actually, that, that's a great uh, leeway into my next uh, topic that I really, really am like eager to talk about, which is really the menu. Um, obviously, the, the name gives us the notion of tacos, and, and you do have a lot of tacos, and you have all the other items. But tell us a little bit about how you came up with this menu, um, and also whether you are the cook, uh, you're the, you know, are these your creations? Uh, just tell us a little bit about the menu. It's just 
No, the menu was definitely developed between my business partner, Daniel, and I. And it was simply the way we came up with it was, you know, using the flavors that we're familiar with. And we did some R&D in my, um, pretty much my house, we in our kitchen. We Before we opened, we, we um, started developing some of the recipes and working on it. And just kind of, it worked very organically the way the dishes were starting to work out. And it's also things that we're not really trying to reinvent. It's simply using... Um, Mexican ingredients and techniques into something on a, on a modernized, modernized twist. Um, and with, um, as far as uh, ingredients, also inspiring with things from regional parts of Mexico, like um, uh, the Baja Taco, something that's the style from Ensenada, which uses mayo, um, the Suadero, which is a, a classic uh, a staple in Mexico City, it's un taco muy chilango, el Suadero, which is not as common, as popular as the, the taco al pastor is. Can, can you describe it for us a little suadero bit? Suadero is simply beef, a cut of meat. Well, for Suadero's, is a, is a cut above the brisket. We use brisket because that cut is actually not as common to to get here through the butchers or through the distributors. Um, mm. But we use brisket, um, and it's a confit, which is cooked in its own fat for a low low a low, a low temperature for a long period of time. So that's what um, that's the way. That's pretty much what Suadero is. It's uh, cooked in its own fat, low and slow. And um, we, we do our our method of adding some more like spices and seasoning to it. We give it our own our own twist to make it ours. And um, Suadero is, is something that is definitely a, a Chilango, Mexico City, from Mexico City, but it's not, it barely, I think recently got more popular than, it, than, it, than it's ever been. I think it was more of a low-key uh, delicate, delic, delicacy taco, right? And, um, and it's something that I guess we, I mean, I've always loved and, and I wanted to bring it on and um, as well as Pastor. But I wanted to do pork also kind of inspired in the, I know, bring in Pastor Taco, which is a, a Lebanese, you know, start with the speaking of history of food was with the immigration from the Lebanese that came and it was initially lamb and we wanted to do pork, but um, we ended up evolving the trompo to a vegan uh, taco, a vegan trompo, which is cauliflower. We do with a green sauce. So we do cauliflower heads directly on the spit. And um, and it's like our, our vegan, one of our vegan, many vegan options that it's also kind of what we going developing the menu. You want to have a good balance of, of, of meats, proteins with also vegetables kind of showcase that we can, you know, vegetables can be delicious, you know, for those that are not too fond of eating the veggies and yeah, eating just your tacos, thinking that the cilantro and onions is enough vegetables on a taco or for, for to eat, right? There's like, that's why we're trying to have a good uh, option of uh, vegetarian options. All the tacos that you have, um, mushroom? Mushroom, that's another tempura fried mushroom that we make. Um, we um, It's actually just cremini mushrooms, small mushroom mushroom with um, black bean puree. Um, we put a salsa matcha that we make in-house with um, fermented black beans and um, black sesame seeds, uh, chile japonés. We call that salsa Goku matcha, Goku from Dragon Ball Z. I know you know. Um but um, it's actually a really savory umami flavor that that is added on to to that taco. That I mean, it's, again, we're, we're using ingredients that are not necessarily fully Mexican, but we give it our own our own uh, personalization to that. You know, so it's flavorful for everyone. So you you keep this theme of the internationalness <laughs> or the spirit of the, or the, or the, or the area where we live. I right, see. right, right, exactly. Uh, I mean, we like uh, like umami flavors, and again. Not that this is a specific reason, but there was a huge Chinese community in the 20s here in El Paso that, um, you know, there's a lot of influence that I'm sure are it stayed in El Paso through the times that, that the Chinese community was here. Okay. Um, my mother loves camotes, um, and she says she's, she defines herself as camotera. 
because she would eat a camote every day. Um, talk to us a little bit about your camotes. The grilled, the grilled camote, yeah, we do that one with, um, I mean, it's something, again, a dish that uh, people are very much accustomed to eating camote in, a, in the holidays, you know, like, or specifically more on, more on the sweet side with, with uh, cinnamon and, and um, uh, sugar or honey and, you know, the marshmallows and stuff like that, that is more common. And people are not so accustomed to eat camote in a savory way. And again, playing around with the ingredients, realized that it was a, a great dish. We want to do um, something like a creamy sauce with it and, uh, and then the salsa macho. So it has a cilantro lime aioli. So it's got that acidity in there with the, the abrasiveness of the cilantro and some garlic. And then we add a salsa matcha, which we also make in-house with pepitas, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, um, and sesame seeds, some dried, some chilies. So this salsa matcha is also, again, parting of the inspiration with the, of our menu of uh, getting internet, um, ingredients from all, all over Mexico. Salsa matcha is actually derived from Veracruz. So it's not so common in the north, but um, it's just a great topping that could go on anything. You know, it's, a, it's got the crunchy texture. It has, uh, it's an oil-based chili uh, seed sauce or nuts. In our case, we use strictly seeds. And, um, you know, it just adds some really good texture to the sweet potato with the softness uh, of the sweet potato. And uh, we also add some dehydrated uh, kale, crispy kale, for some crunchy texture in there to, you know, make it a little more complex. And that was a wonderful idea. I don't know whose idea it was, but that's a wonderful idea. <laughs> that was definitely a collab between Dan and I, but we're really happy with that one. How, way, the way we're happy how people have responded to it, how people has become a lot of our guests' favorites. Well, another my favorite that, that we need to talk about because I grew up eating this. Uh, elotes preparados. Okay, okay. So tell us a little bit about your elote. Pues elote clásico que todo México conoce. We eat, you know, the, the, the classic kind of no, there's nothing, nothing too in, um, modified to this, to this elote. All we do is we make the aioli with, we add a lot of a lime zest and lime juice and a little bit of garlic as well. So it just a classic, uh, uh, yoli may or mayo, um, queso cotija, and and chili powder, and really it's just grilled rice, grilled elote. It's something that um, I guess a lot of people grew up eating, and you might be able to find it in a lot of places, um, street vendors, especially the Parque Borunda, también, and uh, other places. But um, it's again nothing. It's very straightforward, and and it's just delicious. And yeah, th three three concepts or so three things that I normally think of. Um, or many of us, not just me, would think as quote-unquote food street and thinking about specifically Mexico. Um, obviously, your tacos, that you can have a, a taco stand just about in every corner. But certainly, camotes is a street food. Um, every like corner, the, every festival, see people with their, push, you know, with their push grocery cart selling camotes. Yeah, in the, um, and so is sweet potatoes. I mean, sweet potatoes is also, but, but more in the... Sweet in the sweet in the sweet version of it, yeah. Okay. Like in Mexico City, the there's the the camoteros with the whistle, mm -hmm. and you notice like they have them in like a the oven and a little push cart, mm -hmm. and that's something that it's very classic in Mexico for sure. Mm -hmm. um, not so much in the north, but definitely in the southern Mexico, those camo the camoteros, what they call them, is a is a thing. And I mean, ours is a completely different take on that because it's a savory dish, not a sweet dish. Yeah. Speaking mm -hmm. of Mexico, I mean, obviously, it seems like you want to bring a lot of um, uh, flavors from interior Mexico, so to speak. Um, here in the north, we, we're used to the, the, the flour tortilla and, 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 and the uh, corn tortilla with yellow corn. Um, but one of the things that is really fascinating about uh, the coneta is the tortillas um, that you use. I mean, I've gone there and I've gotten blue corn tortillas. I've gotten red corn tortillas, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us a little bit about 
where is this corn coming from? Where is this flour coming from? And, and the process, because my understanding is that you make, I mean, you, you get the, the, the corn and then you actually make the whole process to, to have the tortillas in Taconeta. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of like the, that process? Yes, it's pretty much um, our tortilla or masa program, essentially the soul of, of what we do at Taconeta. And and uh, yeah, with Taconeta, we, we get our corn from a company called Tamoa. First, we wanted to source the corn ourselves through New Mexico or Mexico ourselves, but we ended up uh, getting in contact with a company called Tamoa. We get uh, heirloom corn from from different um, areas of Mexico, from Estado de Mexico, uh, Oaxaca or Tlaxcala, um, Yucatan, and so wherever this corn is available. But yeah, it's simply heirloom corn, native seeds. It's been preserved for thousands of years um, from small farm communities. And so we were really uh, excited to work with this company that they're actually supporting these independent farmers that... Um, that have probably struggled for a long time, but now, you know, they're getting their lots purchased and able to get it across, uh, you know, all the logistics to get it over here on this side is a complex thing that we were, as we were learning, learning with the, starting the project. And, and uh, yeah, it's something that we take a lot of pride in because um, it's, again, these are native seeds that we want. Part of why we're doing is we want the community here in El Paso and the area to, to get more accustomed to what a good tortilla could be. And, um, and being using, you know, native native seed corn and blue corn, and also the way we make it is through the process of um, nixtamal, nixtamalization, which is uh, cooking corn with water and uh, and lime, a lime solution, which is uh, cal in Spanish, or uh, the mineral would be called uh, calcium hydroxide. And um, these three ingredients combined, or the water and the cal and the corn, um, allows um, allows uh, the shell, the pericarp, to come off easily. Um, and and allows the corn to absorb water. That's what the main thing. One of the many things that that the lime solution does to the corn is that it allows it to absorb water. So we do the cooking. Uh, we do this process every day, and Ixtamal goes every day, which is a, a, a ancient method from since way pre-Hispanic times, right? And it has it's like the main way of how how a lot of people survived, you know, back then. And, uh, we can't, can't really cook corn in just water. Even Native Americans on this side was were doing like the hominy um, by cooking in ash, water, and the corn, and that's pretty much how a lot of Native Americans in this whole region survived. And um, and the main way of Aztecs, Mayans, all the, the all to, to to this date to date is is uh, is um, the way we eat tortillas or eat corn. All all products of masa, all corn products, right? And and um, something that is not as common on this on this side of the country because all the northern states. Uh, flour is king, like uh, Chihuahua, Sonora, Coahuila, Sinaloa, uh, Sinaloa, Sonora, and um, Nuevo León. The flour is more common, but nothing wrong with that. It's simply how the culture was developed, and 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 again, corn in the south of Mexico is much more common. You can't quite grow corn in those in those desert areas, mm -hmm. so flour actually took. Um, so therefore, you know, we took so so we have flour. I mean, it became the the, the states of flour. Um, but th that is wonderful that you, that you bring in this process, and it is really wonderful to hear that that you are working with an organization that buys directly from indigenous community. Uh, I'm assuming indigenous communities, communities that that have this corn and, and yes. have produced it for um, yeah, for a long time. So so you're helping sustain exactly. Um, that. that brings me to another question. Um, taking it into account that we do live in the desert, <laughs> I mean, we tend to forget this, right? Um, that, that we live in a desert, um, that it is hard to, to produce a lot of things in the desert. Um, we do have a number of local producers, not in big bulks. Um, so I'm wondering, as, as a restaurant um, uh, 
corner and and and, and do, do you just like you were talking about sort of giving homage to the neighborhood in terms of the design do you guys um gather any of your of your of your products or or distributors or producers from local um we we, we, we try as much as we can at the moment there's uh, we're working with um Sun City Roots, which we get our microgreens from, um, another fruit distributors that we get, like Texas watermelons that are, clo that are grown close to here. Um, but again, there's not, as like you mentioned, being in the desert, there's not that many options available. There is La Semilla, which actually is a nonprofit that works with local farmers to make it easy for, for people to source uh, their produce to them. They, they use different farmers and they get the, the, the produce close in within themselves so that You know, people can get more, have more options to choose from than having to go with individually, with individual farmers. And um, there's definitely, I know there's more efforts that we could be doing and like things like protein, is, it's much harder. There is Baca Ranch, um, but um, there is not that many options and again, more so because of uh, because being in the desert, but always trying to look for who has what. There's, um, there's also some local mushrooms, um, full circle mushrooms out of, um, I think, Canotillo. And um, there's definitely some options that we want to always try to explore what, what's out there. But, I mean, being the region where we're in is, is, is difficult. You know, it's the restaurant industry, especially in the, in the desert, is, is hard to kind of source locally as much as you want, one, one would want to or as easy as it is in other areas, other regions in the country where that's simply almost, you know, it's, it's very easy to, the, the much more fertile land and easier to get um, local products and and here it's not not the same as it is in you know montana or where it's a lot of more fertile and mm. other areas where yeah so we're, we would definitely want to but it's something that we need to continue to learn of who's out there and oh and yeah explore. and, and it's, it's, it's a new it's a, let's not forget that it's a new restaurant so there's a lot of things that i'm sure yes. uh, i mean i I'm assuming I, I don't know I don't have a restaurant of my own um, so but I'm assuming that in any kind of new adventure there's a lot of learning as we move along so you know this hopefully there's a lot of space for growth and, and, and changes um, um, and there are little by little more more local producers yeah. um, there's a lot of things we want to tackle that we yeah. want to do as, as yeah. we go little by little yeah. um, not only do you own a, a bar called um, international bar but Taconeta has a bar too. And one of the things that I notice um, is that you have a drink called Sotol. Yeah, destilado. Um, that even in our way over here, we, we work together. Um, you pointed out that even I don't always quite know the process. Um, can you talk to, to, to us a little bit about this drink? Because oftentimes in conversations with friends and, and, and places, it, com it comes up. But I'm not sure a lot of us really know. And I think we should know yes. what's with all it. Yeah, and, and I know that you have, I don't know, four or five different kinds. Of yeah, we have like seven, eight different types no. of sotol. Um, but something that, yeah, I think it's, it has a really a, a rich history. And um, it's something that I feel that we I want to take. I take a lot of pride in and be an advocate for sotol and get people to know more about sotol, especially in this area, to know that this is this is their spirit. You know, it's, a, it's from... Um, a plant called in, in English uh, desert spoon, and it's um, it's uh, grows in the Chihuahuan desert, and uh, it has a. What is it called in Spanish? Uh, la planta le llaman sotol, sotol, but the formal word would be Dasilirion wiliri, Dasilirion texano, Dasilirion um, leofilium. So it's more of the scientific um, terms, right? Scientific names. 
but uh, in, Me- in Mexico and Chihuahua, it's pretty much called sotol, and in the in the north uh, or in, in in the Texas, they call it desert spoon, and it grows all over the Chihuahuan Desert. Obviously, Chihuahuan Desert goes to Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and this whole. So it has a denomination of origin from Chihuahua, and the other two states that have the denomination of origin uh, is Durango and Coahuila. Um, and uh, it's, so it's uh, it's definitely like our spirit, mainly from mainly in Chihuahua, right? And uh, it's a it's a plant that um, makes what I think makes it more special. Not more special, it makes it special compared to tequila or mezcal. Is that it's um, it's a, the plant is not harvested, it's not cultivated, it's uh, out in the wild. So it's uh, wild harvested. It makes it more unique. Is what I think is beautiful about it that it's survival of the fittest, if you'd say, if, if you will, right? Um, so if it survived the seasons, the, the longest it takes, because it takes about much longer than uh, blue agave, um, it takes about 18 to 22 years for a plant to be matured properly. And, and that's what makes it really special. Also, I mean, yeah, it takes a long time to grow. It's, it's, it's wild harvested and um, you need more plants to make a bottle. And so the process is very, very, the technique is, is, um, is very old school, I guess, uh, if you will. Um, before the... Um, Conquistadores were here. It was more of a fermented drink, and and um, once um, once the Spanish conquest came, the, they introduced the the European techniques of distilling spirits, and that's when it became the way it is prepared now. Then came the Mexican Revolution. That's how it was being prepared, and then it was uh, the prohibition hit. And the way, so the reason why I think sotol is not as popular as tequila or as mezcal is. Um, the, when prohibition hit, even the Mexican, the, I mean, sorry, the Italian mafia, um, American Italian mafia, and and uh, the government made um, made sotol illegal, and they were uh, they were um, what do you call destroying the vinatas because it's not a distillery. Mascal se llama palenque is where they grow it, and and sotol is uh, vinata. So they were destroying all the vinatas um, and 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 stopping them from producing and doing making whiskey instead making clandestine whiskey for during the prohibition days even Al Capone was in was in Juarez as you probably know this and and you know getting the whiskey up north and all that and so so it, it was uh, pretty much illegal until 1994 that Sotol was was still illegal so it's it's a very young spirit as far as uh, getting back on the market and getting no getting more getting known but it's something that the Raramuri Indians um, survived um uh, within the winters, the harsh winters of, of the Chihuahuan Desert and, and the high altitudes, and you know, eating their pinole and and their jer- beef jerky and sotolus, how how uh, they survived the winter. So it's it's not just a, a cultural, well, it's a cultural beverage because of the history that it has, but it's always a thing of survival for 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 the communities back back in the day here. And so now it's you know it's got gaining more popularity and and more interest, and and that's why there's more brands. And they're actually before it was. Um, more moonshiny, right? It was kind of made by families in their farms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And once it's got its denomination of origin, it's official that it's uh, no longer a moonshine. It's now it's in destilado mexicano, and from through, through the plant of again wild harvested plant, which I think is beautiful. It's also I get the region about um, sotol, something that is special. It's it's uh, it tastes from where like where it's from, so it's very much a terroir beverage, if you will. Um, you know, the, if it grows in the in the in the in the hills in the mountains, it's it's it tastes more more uh, more rocky, more more minerally. If it, the one that is grown in the valleys, um, same plant just grows in a different area. It is more of the deserts. It's more 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 earthy, more um, 
more um yeah it tastes more like dirt more it's so it's like tastes like where it's from so i think that's mm -hmm. what makes it very special so i guess that means that we need to come to the coneta have a few tacos and taste different kinds of sotol taste there you go right not not shoot or chug and taste some sotol. from the description that you've given us it sounds to me that it is a, a drink that you taste you taste and it's, again you're, you're you're drinking it's a it's a it's a region in a bottle right mm -hmm. it's a desert in the bottle and that's what makes it very special mm. um we talked about this exchanging the subject just a little bit here we talked about this a little bit but but in terms of the pandemic um that you opened during the pandemic um what were some of, i mean if you had to so like what were some of the major uh challenges but also Uh, opportunities that that created for you? Well, challenges was that we were pushed back our date, our opening date, we which wanted to open like in, in, in April. We wanted to open up in, in April and um, we got delayed through the contractors, sub, our subcontractors uh, a few months and um, we opened and opened when we wanted to. That was one major thing, but um, opportunities, definitely you were there because at the time when we were ready to open, finally, we weren't fully prepared. This is an honest thing that we weren't fully prepared to be um, fully staffed and be ready for a, a full full restaurant, right? Um, so it was kind of great that, I mean, we were not letting the people in. We had the dining room closed. We just had the patio open and we were, it was just my partner and I, my wife, Michelle, and um, just a person helping us with tortillas, making the tortillas and just very, just very little staff that we had. And We would, we were able to serve with what we had at the moment at the time, and as things were calming down with the pandemic, we were also growing. So it allowed us to add staff and 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 add more items to grow within the the pandemic was calming down. So obviously, there's no blessing in a pandemic, but it was somewhat of a ble blessing in disguise, if you will, right? Um, so it definitely helped that we weren't able to we weren't going to open fully for 100 capacity. Um, during the pandemic. So that was something that kind of helped with us to kind of grow as we would and be more prepared and allowed us to 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 learn while we were doing it at the same time. So basically give you an, an opportunity to have like a, a slow, soft yeah. soft opening, I guess that's the that word. It was a soft opening during a pandemic that, that um, allowed us to to be prepared for mm -hmm. when we we're fully at 100%, which as we are now. That's wonderful. I do have one last question. And sort of kind of to wrap up everything that we've been talking about. Um, What is the culinary experience that you hope your patrons take with them from eating at, at Tocoreta? I want the people, our locals, obviously we're going to get a lot of people from out of the city as well, but our locals can see what um, more Mexican ingredients are from the rest of the country and and be familiarized with, with their own roots because we have a lot of uh, Hispanics or Native people in El Paso, the majority, right, the grand majority, and so I want them to kind of also be connected, be uh, reminded of, of who they are and, and, and what their ancestors offered and and be able to see what a, a, a good tortilla is. And not that there's not any good tortillas in town or anything, I'm not trying to say that, but it's, um, but just kind of be connected to more to, connected more to their roots and, and being able to offer variety of things that people can can really relate to and, and be proud of and that we can they can say that there's there's different offerings in, in town and that's something that I guess we also leaving with a, a good a good taste in their mouth of the experience obviously the food right but the full experience is leaving the feel feel appreciated 
Well, I can I can tell you for 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 a fact that, um, like I said, I've been I've been to Takarata a couple of times in in the last month, um, and always with different people, bringing different people, and um, I'm sure you would appreciate this. But one of the things that I've enjoyed so far bringing people to Takarata is as soon as they take their first bite or whatever taco is that they got, their eyes just open like whoa, what did I just put in my mouth? Um, and I guess what they put in the mouth is a little taste of of the complexity of and richness, really, of, of Mexican cuisine through the through, through this iconic concept of a taco. Um, it's really challenging, or, or not challenging, but expanding. Right. Maybe that's a better word. Expanding the very notion of what a taco can be, um, a Mexican taco can be. Um, and that's pretty much like that. That is what fuels us exactly what you say. It's watching somebody take a bite of the taco and, and opening their eyes and being nodding and smiling. Like that's what. That's what. That's why we're doing this. Like it's something that. Uh, that's what I'm mostly passionate about is serving people. It's something that comes very natural, natural to me, and so they don't want to um, translate to our staff that we people get that experience and, and feel feel that way. Not just the food is one thing, the decor is another thing. It's also the full experience of, of getting feel respected and, and, and loved. Right? right. And that's something that we take a lot of pride in. So thank you for that. I really appreciate those words. Well, I, I can I can testify that that's the way I have felt. Um, uh, and that's why I have keep going back, and I, I can't wait to to bring Adrian and, and other people, um, Adrian, our producer, um, mm -hmm. uh, to Taconeta because the food is amazing, but the people, uh, from the moment that you're ordering to the moment that somebody brings his food to your table, it's been a really wonderful experience. So I, I think that's that's part of the wonderful joy of being there. So that's, That brings me joy, so I, so I appreciate that. Thank you so much. About well, thank you. So I think this is a, a wonderful um, place. Um, but before I completely end, is there something else that you want to add that I have not covered or anything, any last words that you want to leave us with? Um, I guess something that we do at Taconeta and that it has been kind of a challenge, but we, we do on a daily basis is that we compost all of our food waste. It's something that I think uh, more restaurants should be doing. There's so much waste that goes into a restaurant more than a produces more waste than than a, than a home, so there's so much produce scraps like uh, avocado, avocado skins and cilantro trimmings and onion trimmings, all that. We we save all that and we we compost it. Actually, take it to my house where I, I have a, a comp big compost bin and we have chickens and and um, we're not doing it as professionally as it is, but it's going it's going to my house and we also have a fossil face farms that help us out and pick up some of the our compost or some of our waste because. It's 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 hard because it's so much of it, and we we try to we do our we do our best, but it's something. Is this a local company? Or? It's a local farm called Fossil Face Farms. And where yeah. are they located? I'm not exactly sure where they're located, but it's definitely more of an urban farm. Mm -hmm. um, it's within in the city, I believe, and um, but they've been great gracious enough to help us pick up some of the, our our food waste that we separate all the separate all the all the plastic and all that with. Um, with uh, our food waste and you know try to use as sustainable plates like i've noticed that we have all pretty much disposables and it's uh, all compostable for the most part and um something that we we take a lot of pride in to try to do our best and 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 contribute a little bit to the less waste in town where i think this place uh, the city needs it and lacks of and in many areas you know from the city to just the knowledge of, of local residents that it's something that could be improved and we're trying to do our part a little bit in and eliminating some of that and want to promote that so that we can inspire others to do the same. Well, yeah, and, and that's why I asked you what was the name of this place because, um, you know, when I asked earlier about uh, 
consume, uh, um, buying local products in order to help the, the our community. This is another very important, and in the food industry, this is a very important topic because you're absolutely right, particularly in restaurants, there's tremendous amount of ways. What do you do with, with it in a, in a, in a, a respectful, um, environmentally uh, appropriate way? And it sounds like you, you are working on that. That's, that's a goal for you, of yours. So that's, thank you for sharing that. That makes going to Taconeta even more special now. Great. Thank Great. you. Thank you so much. So uh, once again, we would like to thank our guest, Alejandro Burunda, co-owner of Taconeta for sharing your wonderful experience and journey um, and, and these wonderful practices you have in food. Um, and keep traveling, keep going to different places in Mexico so that you can bring us yet more flavors uh, in, in those wonderful tacos to, <laughs> to El Paso. Count on that. Thank you so very much. It's been absolutely lovely and wonderful. Un placer. Thank you so Igualmente. much. Igualmente. Muchas gracias. Eh? El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, Professor of Food Studies and Literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you. Thank you.